Welcome to Sportin' Live. Introducing your host, Ed Draper. Hello there. Welcome along to the podcast Sport and Life. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you for hitting on the button. Appreciate it. Thank you as ever to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, even. Beautiful store in the courtyard in Montpellier in Cheltenham here in the west of England. Now they are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Remember, through that company, the sister company, brother company, Serene AV, Jason Briggs and his team can source you whatever equipment suits your kind of bespoke vision for your home entertainment, audio system, whatever it may be, your budget, your needs. They'll uh, sculpt it that way and get in touch with Jason and his team. Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham, BNO underscore Cheltenham on social media, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham online. Google them, get the number, give Jason and his, uh, his fine squad a call. And uh, Jason's a bit gutted. I've got my knee surgery coming up and I will not be able to take part in his uh, annual charity football game. It's in June this year, not July. So I think my rehab's are probably not going to be recovered from my meniscus surgery in time for that. Nonetheless, I'll get down there and watch it. Uh, thank you also to Cytoplan, food-based supplement companies, supplements that are uh, designed to be digested as close to as possible food. This is a company based in, again, in the west of England, the beautiful village of Hanley Swan. But my father, Dr. Mark Draper, has worked as a consultant there, helped devise some of the ingredients for the multivitamins, vitamins, you may say, in particular. We've been taking them for 20 plus years as a family, and we can offer you a discount that we enjoy as well. We do pay for our supplements, always stressed, despite my father having been contracted to the company at time to time, my dad being a doctor and a micronutritionist. But uh, we'd pay for them and we offer the same discount rate effectively to you. 30% up front, 10% thereafter. If you go to cytoplan.co.uk, which is uh, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk at checkout, the discount code is DRAPER10R. My last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numbers 10 and the capital letter R. So 30% off up front. 10% thereafter. I'm actually on the glucosamine at the moment as well, in addition to my regular multivitamin, the immune complete I take from Cytoplan just to bolster the knee in anticipation of, of surgery on the meniscus. Keyhole surgery start of May, May the 5th. So hopefully it'll all go well. My first general anaesthetic going under, which is ironic because my dad was an anaesthetist and anesthesiologist earlier in his career. Uh, nonetheless, let's crack on with the podcast. Brilliant to catch up with John Palmer once again in good spirits. He is a Cheltenham Town lifelong fan, but for his career long time spent as a journalist covering them as well. This is their most successful ever season, the local club to me, playing in League One, third tier of English football. They are destined to have their highest ever finish, highest ever points total, or they've lost the last couple of games. It's just maybe the momentum's gone out of it a little bit once safety was secure. But they are having a record season against the backdrop of being very small budget, very small operator in that league. And uh, Michael Duff, the manager, has done a fantastic job and great to catch up with John in my back garden. Here he is, the one and only John Palmer. 
John Palmer, the sun's shining on Cheltenham Town. We're sat in sunglasses and it's a, it's a beautiful time for the football club as well. How, how are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. It is nice to get a bit of sun. I've, I've been quite lucky, really. The last couple of weeks I've been able to get out and enjoy a bit of, bit of good weather in, yeah. in amongst the football and stuff. So, yes, uh, I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. We're talking about time flying, weren't we? But it's really weird to think that it's the final game of the season for, for Cheltenham on Saturday. It seems, seems early, but I guess it is the end of, the end of April. What yeah. a season it's been. Unbelievable season. I think it, you know, Cheltenham have formed in 1887. Yeah. And this is the highest, this is going to be the highest they've ever finished in the football pyramid. So even though it won't make too many headlines around the country, like winning League Two maybe did last season, mm. I think it's pound for pound. I think what Michael Duff's done with Cheltenham this year is probably up there with anything any other manager's done. And, you know, well done to Liam Richardson for winning manager of the year in League One. But pound <laughs> for pound, I think the likes of what Michael Duff's done and what Cambridge have done and if Morecambe stay at what they've done are just as admirable really. I suppose that's the funny thing isn't it people don't know that perspective but outside of Cheltenham it's hard to hard to tell but what kind of figures what have they actually spent? They spent next to nothing on transfer fees uh, only a, smooth, uh, a sort of few nominal fees on players in January and you know it was widely publicised that they spent 5,000 on Alfie May yeah. in what would have been January 2020 and he's obviously turned into the sort of star of the season for them but yeah second lowest budget in League One they were 17th in League Two last year, and they they don't harp on about it too much. But you have to say, mm. to win the title on the 17th budget is brilliant, and then to stay up in Crew, the only team lower than Cheltenham budget-wise in League One, and they finished bottom of the league. Yeah. So it shows how hard it is, and I think next season is going to be particularly challenging. I think the second season is often harder, which Crew have found. So Morecambe are bigger than Cheltenham. Morecambe's budget's bigger than Cheltenham this yeah. season. Yeah. Yeah. So only Crew lower. Wow. Um, so to be to be comfortably mid table is yeah shouldn't be underestimated. And I think we, you know, as as Cheltenham sports fans, you just got to enjoy it. Well, you know, enjoy it while it lasts. It doesn't. <laughs> That's what Michael Duff said to often. you, isn't it? it was, an was that an interview you? I saw. I think it was a clip, wasn't it? That, that, that I saw online yeah. about him, quite sage, just saying that actually trying to trying to enjoy this this moment because change is kind of ever present in life. But in football, especially in League One, League Two football, it changes very rapid. Yeah, Steve Cottrell, who got Cheltenham into the Football League for the first time, will always say the big thing is having a Football League club. Mm. He said if you could sign a piece of paper that would mean Cheltenham in the Football League for the next 100 years, forget whether it's League One or League Two, just in the Football League for the next 100 years, he would sign it straight away because it's not a given that Cheltenham are in the top 92. No. So there's a lot of ambitious clubs in the National League now. So for Cheltenham to be in League One and have that buffer and... It was it was a real blow when they got relegated out of the football league in 2015, but thankfully they came straight back up, and they've so 20 23 years since they got promoted, and 22 of those have been in the football league. What do you make of Oldham being relegated this weekend as a as a football fan? Because just I'm put it on Twitter, but as a boyhood football fan, just remember like them being in the Premier League, being a real tough team. Joe Royal, the manager, Andy Ritchie, and Marshall. There's long yeah. long brown hair, tussled hair. There's kind of rugged rugged side but FA Cup semi-final against Manchester United in 94 as well it's kind of quite a powerful reminder of the the other side of the the wonderful aspects of English football that's sort of bubbling up and down I think they're the first ex-Premier League clubs to go down mm. aren't they Luton have been down there Bristol Rovers have been down there's some big clubs but I think Oldham yeah Luton were in the, just the old first division just before yeah. the Prem weren't they yeah but I, yeah, I remember Oldham getting to the League Cup final losing to Forest getting to two Cup semi-finals very difficult team to play against on that plastic pitch and it's yeah, it's it's mad now. And you, you know the scenes from their game on Saturday when the relegation was confirmed, the game had to be held up. There was protests, obviously that something's gone seriously wrong with the ownership behind the scenes because they they shouldn't be in the national league. No, 
Um, hopefully they can get it together and come back up. But Scunthorpe going down as well. You know, they were in the championship yeah. briefly not that long ago. So they're not, they weren't a big club in the championship, but still they're, they're too big a club to be in the National League, really, all being equal. So shows how difficult it is. So doing the Cheltenham Town beat for a number of years and this being the, the best ever season, which is, which is quite an achievement, have you thought about what the, what the overriding kind of variable is that, that, that determines success at the Football League level? There seems to be a trend of managers who have a link with the club before they come in, doing mm. well. So Gary Johnson did particularly well to win the National League. He didn't have a connection with the club, but Steve Cottrell had played for the club. Before him, John Murphy had been a long-serving player. He, he won the Southern League title for the first time yeah. uh, to get Cheltenham into what is now the National League. Michael Duff obviously played for the club, was, a, was already a sort of club legend before he came back as manager. Mark Yates did a very good job as manager, having been a very popular mm. player. So there seems to be understanding the club, getting what it's all about, understanding that there's a few pretty unique challenges off the pitch of managing Cheltenham. It's, I think there's a constant battle for it to keep up off the pitch with what, yeah. what Michael and what other managers have done on the pitch. I think they're, they're moving in the right direction. I think they're getting their act together off the pitch. But I think it's, it's been a challenge for them to sort of come out of that non-league mentality a little bit. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting because the new head of commercial, Richard Morris, had a conversation with me on the phone and he was almost articulating that, I suppose, as a newcomer to it. I think he's from a cricket background, but what the club is achieving this season, um, I know attendances have been pretty healthy as well, but there's always that, that kind of part, the spectre of the past, isn't there, that you think about being a non-league club for so long, it's almost difficult for people to kind of uh, accept where they are and, and realise what ambi ambition is now. Yeah, I think Michael took the brave decision really to leave, you know, to leave Burnley where he's 23's manager and take the job. And I think he knew probably what to expect. He knew mm. probably that it wasn't going to be a setup like Burnley, you know, state of the art, million pound training <laughs> grounds. But Chel Cheltenham's training ground's actually pretty good. The same you, you size town, isn't it? It's Burnley and Cheltenham. Yeah. Isn't that the weirdest thing? It's a hundred thousand it people. Yeah. yeah. And Cheltenham is a, a decent sized town, but isn't probably in terms of football history, hasn't quite no. developed as much as some of the you know the northern industrial towns and that thing, but a lot I think of Aston Villa fans, a lot of Bristol City fans, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, a lot of fans will, will be based in Cheltenham and travel all over the country. But I think the longer Cheltenham stay in League One or League Two, you know, hopefully it will, kids will now have grown up with Cheltenham being a football league club. Whereas when I was a kid, they were a few levels down, and yeah. you know, and almost almost if you supported Cheltenham at school, it was almost a laughing stock. <laughs> Whereas now I think you know, Cheltenham are playing against teams like Sheffield Wednesday, Sunderland, Ipswich. It's a bit something more a bit to be proud of. So I think just. I think understanding the club, not not trying to break the bank to try and chase a bit of glory, um, getting getting value for money with developing Premier League clubs loan players has been a great model for Cheltenham. That's worked really well for them. I think. Yeah. Not trying to sp splash the cash and trying to get some young lads in, give them a chance. Some have gone brilliantly well. One or two haven't worked out, but I think the loans has been a real feature of Cheltenham's success under Michael Duff. Jacob Greaves, now playing regularly for Hull, was a brilliant mm. player. And some of the current crop, Matty Pollock's just got a young player of the year at Cheltenham on loan from Watford, Callum Wright from Leicester, yeah. and Keanu Tete from Tottenham. They've all done really well down the spine of the team. And as Michael said on Saturday, I think they'll all go on to have really good careers. Yeah, Wright's a good midfielder, isn't he? I think that's where I'm at the start of the season, yeah. Nine goals this season. Yeah. He's very popular. I think everybody expects him to be playing possibly in the Championship next season on loan again. I think he will stay on at Leicester probably. Mm. Um, you know, it'd be very interesting to see how far he can go, whether he's going to get into the Leicester first team or not probably still got a bit of work to do but he's unbelievable talent yeah and with this, I suppose that kind of underscores the fact that if you are going to lean into that loan market it is going to be a constant state of flux isn't it so you almost have to take every week you go every season you go it's going to be completely different yeah because 
the days of short-term loans are over now. So mm. you know if you get a player in on loan, you're going to have them either for half a season or full season. So you've, you've got to get it right, really. Mm. Um, but there's 12, I think there's 12 players contracted for next season. Yeah. Um, and Michael said on Saturday there'll probably be another five loans. So that's 17. So that gives you an idea of really what he's got to do this summer. He's probably going to offer a couple that are out of contract, new contracts, and then there'll probably be, I would say, f I don't know, maybe five or six new faces coming in as well. But it feels like a bit of the end of an era because some of the some of the lads that have been there through the the title, the, the improvement and the Michael Duff, mm. the playoffs, the title win, the highest ever finish. Some of them are going to be moving on now. Yeah. So it feels like a little bit of a of a new start. Who do you next think is going to go? Is Will Boyle going to leave? There's yeah, I think I think the club have resigned to Will Boyle moving on. It's a shame, isn't it? Because he seems to—I know he's a Sheffield boy, but he's embraced living here and be a big, big part of it. Yeah. For how many years now? Five years. Yeah, he signed in January 2017. So yeah. Gary Johnson got to give him some credit. Brought him in from Huddersfield. He'd been on loan in Scotland. When he came in, he was sort of a bit sort of lanky, a bit gangly, <laughs> but you could see the potential. He'd been really young, wouldn't he? Actually. Yeah. Yeah. He's—he's um, he's developed into a real leader. I think he always had that in his personality, anyway. But he's—he's a, he's a real leader. Brilliant in the air dangerous from set pieces, organises. He's unfortunately has been hampered by injuries a little bit this season, but mm. I think everyone can see that when he's fully fit and on his game, he should be playing. He's quite he high up in the, the all-time goal-scoring stats, isn't he, as well? Because yes. I, I was speaking to Luke Varney on the podcast and he said that there's Boyle passed him or something in the goals for Cheltenham. Yeah, very respectable return. I think he's now he's now Cheltenham's highest-scoring football league defender. Yeah. Um, he's gone past Jamie Victory, although Jamie got a lot of non-league goals as well. Okay. He got... He got around 50 for the club, which is brilliant for a left-back. But for Will to get, he's well into the 20s now. Yeah. Um, you know, when you think about the highest ever is 39 in the Football League, which, which Alfie May is getting very close to. Brilliant. But I think, yeah, he's, he, he will be a big miss. You know, there's, there's an outside chance that, that Cheltenham might be able to persuade him to, to sign a new deal. But they offered him one a while ago. He said, no thanks. There's no issue. There's been no issue, no fallout. So what, what was he looking at, do you think? Is he looking at a championship club or is he looking at a higher-end League One, not higher end in terms of prestige, but in terms of what they can pay him. Yeah, I think some of the clubs that are pushing for promotion from League One have been showing an interest, and some Championship clubs. Yeah, Huddersfield have been watching him, and that I mean, they could be in the Premier League next season, so that would be a hell of a jump. But Sheffield Wednesday have been interested. Oxford United have been interested. There's there's a long list of players. I think Portsmouth were watching him at one point. Mm. Um, Preston. Um, it's it's yeah. interesting that he's flourished under Michael Duff, though, isn't it? In a sense, because he's had that sort of marauding centre back role, which I think. Was it Michael's tongue-in-cheek saying that Chris Wilder stole from him at Sheffield United? <laughs> I don't know if he's doing that at Middlesbrough now, but like liberated to go forward from that left centre-half position. Yeah, there have been times where he's almost been playing like a, a left winger. Mm. Um, he's put some good crosses in, but he's obviously I think he prefers getting on the end of crosses, but he's he's definitely improved with the ball at his feet. He, he was always very good at the, the, the basics of heading it, kicking mm. it, winning tackles, brave. Yeah, I think I've been, I've been putting together my best Cheltenham because they've just gone through their 1,000th football league game. Oh wow! We put together my all-time eleven, and he's—I've just got to make a final decision between him and Steve Elliott in the back three. But I think Boyle's going to sneak in, so I'll be—I'll be putting <laughs> that—I'll be posting that on Twitter soon. But he's, I nice. think he's—he's he's one of the ones that's got a good chance of being in it, and he's—yeah, he, he'll go down as a as a real. They've sort of helped keep the club up in his first season, and then he's—yeah, he's developed as he's got into his mid twenties, and I think if he does go, most most people will understand that he. He deserves a chance to give it a crack at a, either a higher level or a club trying to get out of League One, yeah, you know, into the Championship, which is obviously going to be a tall order for Cheltenham. Yeah, and but it's all done in the context of season as well. Ben Toza leaving as well because that was significant. I think he was the talisman, obviously star of the the Man City Cup game last year. I suppose for him to go and actually achieve what they've done is it's even more impressive. 
Yeah, he's, he's won, he was player of the year for the last two years, played every game last season. I think there were a few worried faces around when he left. They, mm. got, they got a decent fee for him. And, and Wrexham, obviously, hugely ambitious uh, club. Well, Ryan Reynolds and yeah. Co. <laughs> yeah. I think he got, you know, got a considerable pay rise, got a young family coming into his 30s. Absolutely no mm. complaints from me that he's, he's gone and have gone to Wrexham and it, they could get, it looks like they're going to be in the playoffs this year, but they could be back in the Football League next season. So that was a big worry at the start of the season because he started the season in, in the back three again and it was, looked very settled. And then that's why I think Matty Pollock's got to be congratulated the way he's come in. He was, mm. he was he was 19, I think, when he came in. 20 now, on loan from Watford. Bit of football league experience at Grimsby. Just come in and again looks like he's going to have a really good career. He's he's been excellent. And Cheltenham have let a lot more goals in this season, but I think that would have happened with Tozer in the team or without Tozer in the team. I think it's just the quality of the opposition yeah. players has gone, has gone up a massive notch playing against international players and things like that now. So I think Pollock's filled in really well. Boyle's had his injury problems, but he's back now. Started the season really well, then got injured. You've got Sean Long's had an excellent season. Charlie Raglan's a really good, mm. reliable defender. So they've they've coped pretty well without Toza, despite the goals against being a lot higher, higher than Michael would like. They've not found goals scored hard to come by, but they have let a few too many in. It's a really short career, isn't it? You could you can't begrudge people leaving for for more money in a sense, but it must be an emotional wrench to leave this this situation at Cheltenham. I mean, you're close to it, but it feels like from afar that it's quite a special space and time. Yeah, we we interviewed Scott Flinders after the game. On Saturday, he played what probably was probably his last game for the club. Mm. Not not confirmed, but I think he's probably going to be moving on. Not involved at the weekend. He he might do, but yeah, I think I think Michael put game. him in. Owen Evans has been number one for yeah. the majority of the season. I think he put him in almost as a farewell appearance. But he's he's not far off being number one. But I think Owen Evans ten years younger, mm. and he's contracted already for next season. So I think he he spoke about how how close knit they are. They all stayed behind to watch the boxing at the ground on Saturday. They're, they're a good bunch of good bunch of guys get on very well a lot of them been together for three or four yeah. five years Scott Flinders lives with Will Boyle in Cheltenham stays with Will and his partner in Cheltenham when he's down from Rotherham which is very family based so it fe- yeah it does feel like I asked the question does it feel a bit like the end of an era because a few that have been around a while you don't get that often yeah. anymore players staying for five or six years so yeah I think it's, it's a bit of a rebuilding job but because they've got those 12 contracted already it's not a start from scratch job but it's going to be hard to replicate what they've had the last couple of years. It really has been something special. And Luke Varney was talking about that, how he's gone back in recently, I think, ahead of games. He went to the change room ahead of the Wednesday game, did he, Sheffield Wednesday game, and yeah. things like that. And he's talking about the connection he still feels for the club a couple of years after leaving, which is quite unique, especially for a guy as well-travelled as, as Reg. I think he'd admit that. Yeah, I think he came back to a home game <coughs> recently, um, was promoting his charity bike ride. Mm. Then he was a guest at the Sheffield Wednesday game, obviously played for both clubs. And he... he you know, he's he was one of the well, he's Michael Dust's first signing, and he's one of the people that helped to turn the club around really, because mm. they did look like they were going to struggle to stay in the football league in in 2018-19, and he he got Player of the Year that year, um, was brilliant the year after as well in the playoff campaign, and what what a brilliant bloke to have at the club. He was he was brilliant. It's a shame that he couldn't. You know, I think I think it would been quite nice if he could get in, got involved with the the coaching side of it at Cheltenham, but he went back to Burton. Yeah, played for Corn for a little bit, and now he's concentrating on his PT business. But he's yeah, he, he was he was an absolute genius signing for Michael Duff because there weren't there weren't many goals in the team. Um, yeah. He came in and he had his most prolific season since since really earned his career at Crew, which got him to move to Charlton. Mm. It was the most goals he scored really? since he was at Crew and he, at the age of thirty five, thirty six. So 
yeah, brilliant. One of the one of the great recent footballing players for Cheltenham, Luke Varney. Yeah, he's doing well. He's got his own personal training kit now as well. But he speaks so funnily of the club with Michael Duff. Is it clarity of communication? Is it the fact that that he's, I mean, not necessarily unduly warm with everyone, but he's just consistent with people? Is that is that what you think the secret has been to that team spirit? Yeah, I think he understands the modern day footballer, yeah. having, having not retired that long ago and having worked at the 23s and having done a bit with Burnley's first team before he came to Cheltenham. I think he gets players. I think he knows how to talk to people. I think he's got a very good, even temperament. I don't think he tells them all they're awful when they lose and tells them all they're the best player in the world when yeah. they win. I think he's very stable. Sometimes after a game, there's a, you can sense a little bit of frustration or, or glee, but really he's quite <laughs> he's quite even really some interviews he sleeps well doesn't he which I think is amazing <laughs> he doesn't yeah so he, he can, he's someone that can work hard and switch off yeah I think he's I think he's probably might have said it in the chat to you I think he's made more of an effort this season to actually have a bit more time for the family and a bit more time for himself whether it's playing a bit of golf or getting into the gym yeah or getting on his exercise bike I think he's he's tried to work on that balance a bit more this season because it can totally take over your life as you know as speaking to managers you will know that it's 24-7 job mm. when everyone else all the players are having their holidays and stuff in the summer. Michael will be worrying about that level. You're yeah. head of recruitment as well, aren't you? Really, and yeah. everything. Worrying about who's coming in. He works very closely with Mickey Moore. He's the director of football and has done a great job with the recruitment. So, yeah, I think he's yeah consistent, clear, treats the players properly. Doesn't get them in the day after a defeat as a punishment, <laughs> but gives them gives them decent amount of time off when they're in. He always says it, it's one of his favourite phrases. When they're in, they're at it. They're working hard. But, they'll make, but he will always pay them back with the time off, give them a decent break. But when they're in, they're expected to work That's what practically properly. said about Scott Flinders and, and, and Luke Varney when he was here. They're all travelling from different parts of the country, aren't they? So actually getting them in the day after a game if it's gone badly, it's just going to add more stress and, and resentment probably. Yeah, there's a lot of good things about being a footballer. It's a brilliant um, career, it's a brilliant lifestyle, but there are certain sacrifices you have to make. One of them is being anywhere in the country at any yeah. point. A lot of travelling, a lot of uh, long, long season, you know, the, the, I'm sure they'll they'll say it's all worth it, but they don't get to see their families and the loved ones probably that often. So if you take that away from them on a Sunday just because of a bad performance, which is going to happen every now and then, I think that's an outdated way of doing things. And he he he, yeah. he would he said he would never do that. So yeah, I think he's just uh, just intelligent, got a lot of football intelligence, having played at all the different levels. I think he just understands what players need, what they're going to respond to. The three-five-two formation has been brilliant for him mm. since he. Since he adopted that a couple of months into his reign, it's been it's been brilliant. Whenever he, he's gone back to maybe a back four, like he did at Lincoln, it hasn't really worked. So I think it's something about the three-five-two that he just knows. He just seems to know how to get the best out of that formation. You know, you can debate how much how much of it is down to formations, but that definitely seems to suit Michael yeah. Duff's teams. The three-five-two. Well, that seems to be a rational approach, and it's interesting in the Premier League the cult of the sort of philosopher manager and and, and them having a kind of principles of how they play, Jurgen Klopp, etc. It's, it's great at that level, perhaps, but it is, and he took, you know, people say three and a half years to, to win a trophy at, at Liverpool. It's interesting, people, the, the, the sort of the adulation for that approach, when actually you think rationally, it's more of a, a pragmatism around what you have is probably is, is important. And Michael Duff seems to have done that, doesn't he? Mm. We hear about him talk when he first came in, how he was playing and, and not having a win for, what, 10 games, and then, and then turning it around. It was about the realisation that you have to adapt to the players rather than the other way around. Yeah, when he came in, I think he was quite set on playing 4-4-2, bit direct maybe, bit mm. um, percentage game a little bit maybe just to try and get some points on the board. But it was, it sort of happened, you've got to give give him credit for finding it, but it sort of happened by luck. Ben Tozer, who hadn't been in the team, 
and actually looked like he might have been on, on his way out of the club, got put in the sort of sweeper role, middle of the back three in a in a trophy game against Arsenal under 21s. Mm. That's where it all started. Cheltenham won the game 6-2, Arsenal had a player sent off and they tried to carry on playing and playing and playing as, as under 23 teams do and Cheltenham put a few goals past them but that was the first time Tozer played in the middle of a back three yeah. and he, he basically stayed there for the rest of his time at Cheltenham and it, it, it was unbelievable success so there is a lot of luck involved but you have to be good at the other, all the rest of the stuff to sort of capitalise on the luck I think yeah and it's also like to say to stay in the moment and roll with it like Michael Duff said himself because you think about the difficulty of, li of leaving a player like Will Ball has been integral if he, if he leaves the club but thinking and even Will the fact that he's got on the housing market in his mid-twenties in Cheltenham is impressive because we were looking at housing pr house prices the other day and like wow they've, they've skyrocketed in this part of the world so he's done he's done well so it'll be interesting to see how he handles that whether he keeps his place here wh wh where he goes if he looks at a contract Will Ball he's got two on the table one from Cheltenham and one from say Portsmouth or Oxford as you mentioned what's the differential there do you think is it is it double the salary is it you know kind of 50% more well just got to look at the Cheltenham being the second lowest budget in the league and Ben Tozer I think you know maybe doubled or tripled his money going to Wrexham yeah. so I think it will be I don't I don't I, I, I genuinely don't think it's all down to money with no. Boyle I think obviously that's going to be a part of it he's, he knows that he's coming into what should be his best years now and needs to make the most of his career but I don't think it will be purely a financial decision I don't think he will go straight to the club that offer him the most pounds a week I think he will he want to get promoted he want to have success he want to play for a club that go in the, in the right direction I, I don't think he dropped down to a League 2 club for slightly f a few more quid I think he, he's looking up Yeah. so but I think Cheltenham it's, it's not a bad salary that players get when you think about how short the career is and how unpredictable it is it is probably quite yeah. quite poor uh, quite and £20,000 a year at that stage is, is even more significant than say another million for a, a Premier League player who's on three or four million a year it becomes something that setting up buying a house paying a mortgage is all mm. that becomes a real consideration doesn't it yeah but one of the, one of the things Cheltenham have proven recently is toza has gone Chris Hussey's gone of his own accord to Port Vale looks like Will Boyle's going to go but they haven't ever been and, and Luke Varney's obviously gone and, and sort of eventually retired a couple of years later but they've never been totally reliant on, on one player even if Alfie May went if somebody comes in and makes Alfie May an offer and the club an offer they can't how refuse. many goals is he on now May this season he's yeah. got 24 21 in the league 24 in all Brilliant. competitions and he's he's the third highest scorer in the club's history in the football league he scored but against City as well didn't he yeah scored oh. the famous goal against City and he's, he's really flourished this year and he got nine goals in the league last year this year he's got 21 already with, with one to play but I think even if he were to go it doesn't seem to phase Michael losing he knows that he's going to yeah. at times lose some of his best players it shows that the club's doing something right because no one's going to want to sign a, really a player from a, a struggling Cheltenham team who were, who were getting relegated to the National League I mean, you wonder what he could do in a sort of high-flying team, don't you? Could he play championship? I think he could do well at a, a promotion-chasing League One team, but it's, it's, I don't think many people, as, as good as he was when he first came in from Doncaster and he started mm. scoring straight away, and he, he was pretty good last season, scored against Man City, chipped him with nine in a, a team that won the league. I still don't think many people expected him to do what he's done this season, but he's he's gone a lot more professional lot, he's made a lot of sacrifices he's become a lot more dedicated in the gym a lot more a lot fitter he's matured as a character he's is he's 20, 28 he's 29 in July okay. so he's yeah he's, he's become one of the sort of influential figures in the dressing room I think whereas before when he signed I think he was a bit of a, a bit good character a bit of a joker maybe didn't take it as <laughs> come from a non-league background prime, I guess this is the prime years yeah so I think he he's yeah again he if, if somebody comes in in the summer and makes Cheltenham an offer they can't refuse Good luck to Alf Alfie, but 
they're not in a position where they need to sell him because they're in you know they're, they're secure financially which is what you want you don't want to be flogging players to survive it would be on Cheltenham's terms they don't need to sell him for a cut price yeah. fee same with Toza they didn't they, they, they were able to hold out for 200 grand I think there were several offers lower than that didn't need to sell him quite happy to keep him probably you know uh, we're, we're in the, the, the strong bargaining position even against a team like Wrexham we've got all that <laughs> clout behind them so that's, that's, that's been really impressive as well They're, the way they've been run off the pitch in terms of financial stability especially what they've just been through like all clubs have been through which helped them to come out of it making a small profit which is yeah, it's amazing. unbelievable it's amazing the context of the past couple of years you always forget that they didn't have gates for so long it's nice the fans have been able to see them and have their successful ever, most ever season in front of in front of supporters it's amazing with Michael isn't it because he's always struck you as a sort of um, pragmatist and realist about the fickle nature of football but I suppose that would have been hammered home to me even more with the Sean Dyche situation because when I've been with him in the past I'm, he's, I think more than one occasion he's had a call from Dyche or a text message or something in the, mid, in the midst of our conversation and it showed how much of an important role model he was and mentor for him from the, the Burnley era and, and beyond but that would have, have woken him up and I suppose he was very honest with you about the Burnley job I think it was Sky actually as well he talked to us about um, that job being um, somewhat uh, one that you know, he's, he played for Cheltenham and played for Burnley they're the two jobs he was is interested in how do you assess the situation because obviously the, the interim manager is doing well at Burnley at the moment they might well stay mm. up now after a, a win at the weekend do you think he's going to wait for a stepping stone before that job is that realistic for the Burnley one I think I've thought for a while that I think he might need to do one more between Cheltenham and Burnley if that's the one he really wants but he, you know he's not he's not somebody who's jumped around clubs throughout his career he's been you know, very yeah. loyal to Cheltenham, very loyal to Burnley. Um, I don't think he will will drop everything at Cheltenham and just go for the first job that comes up. But I think a part of me would still be a bit surprised if he's in charge of Cheltenham at the start of next season, certainly by the end of next season, because what he's done will be starting to... You know, bigger clubs will start to take notice of it, and I yeah. think he will start to get offers. Um, the Burnley job at the moment, I think, if Burnley go down, you know, they've given themselves a good chance to stand up now, haven't they, with that result yeah. yesterday. But I think if Burnley go down... I can see him going from League One to the Championship, but but Burnley will really be a Premier League club in the Championship, having been in the Premier League yeah. for so long. And they're they're not a massive club, and Dyche did an unbelievable job to keep them in there as long as he has. But they've got they've been in there long enough to expect to come straight back up. Mm. I think he, because of the the money they're about to pay in wages yeah. as well. Yeah, I think he might. I don't know, and he is very popular at Burnley. The fans love him. A lot of them would be quite happy if he went there now. But I think he might need to do a a, a, a sort of a traditional Championship job. Yeah, a club that is a Championship club. Hard before, to go into the, un the unknown. Like you talk about him knowing Cheltenham, how significant that was, and presumably the people behind the scenes as well. A lot of the people are still there from his playing days, and that it, you realise from that perspective how much of a, a jump into the unknown it is because it's such a ruthless business. Yeah, one thing he has had is a lot of experience of different countries. He's, I think, he's lived in all over the place with his, with his parents' jobs, mm. and he's also been at clubs that have been, although he's been at, only been at two clubs and they've been very stable. He's been, he's played in the he's played in the Hellenic League, Southern League, Conference. League Two, League One, Championship, Premier League. So there's always been something going on. He's never really, I, I think he's never stood still very long, even though he's been only been at two clubs. He's always been mm. progressing yeah. to, to do what he did as a player. Obviously, international caps for Northern Ireland as well. I don't think a new club that he hasn't been connected with before would, would phase him. I think he'd mm. go in and, 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 and turn things around if he needed to and be interested to see if he took Wade Elliott with him, who's obviously his first team coach now. Another mm. very popular figure at Burnley. Yeah, I can see them working together at another club as well. Um, so yeah, I think he will. I, th I think he will manage more clubs than he played for. 
Well, if, if, he st- if he stays, what could he achieve next season, do you think? Because that's a difficult thing as well. You become a victim of your own success, don't you, sometimes at clubs? Yeah, it's Cheltenham have gone up uh, twice before before this promotion to League One. First time they came straight back down. Yeah. Second time they managed to claw their way to safety twice. Then they got relegated under Martin Allen in 08-09. So the second <laughs> season... Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. National headlines for different reasons than football. But even the second season of those three in a row they had in League One was, was really difficult. And John Ward went to Carlisle and he'd done a brilliant job at Cheltenham. Keith Downing took over. Everyone thought Cheltenham were going to go down and they managed to stay up on the last day of the season. It, it is going to be more difficult next season. I think mm. when you're trying to recruit players for League One, um, I think it's important they got a bit of business done in January because it is harder to recruit players for League One when you've got Cheltenham budget. Keeping the good players from League Two was probably, yeah. they did well to tie them down, but it's probably slightly easier now trying to, they're probably trying to sort of scrap for a, for a player now that's wanted by clubs that can offer far more. So mm. that's why the loans are so important and that's why the recruitment and being clever and maybe finding some that have slipped through the net, which I think is increasingly hard to do now. So that it's going to be a huge challenge. And if, if Cheltenham say they, they, fi- they look like they're going to finish 14th, 15th, 16th this season, if they were offered 18th, 19th next season, I think I would still snap my hand off. And do they that. start to build money? I mean, it's not like the Premier League, is it? Don't accrue vast amounts maybe or can they put money aside to sort of solidify the club you, you get slightly more yeah you get slightly bigger slice of not much but slightly bigger I think there's a big jump championship huge jump obviously Premier League but there's a slight increase in the league one but not massively significant more away fans obviously makes yeah. a difference rather than teams like Barrow and Stevenage coming you've got next season Derby yeah coming and you still wow. got either one of Sheffield Wednesday or Sunderland are probably going to be coming again Ipswich coming again mm. Plymouth, Plymouth might go up but there, there's you know, you guarantee a few handful of times the the away end is going to be absolutely packed every season. You've got Forest Green Rovers as well, which I can't call it El Glossico because I got in trouble with that. Apparently, that's Gloucester <laughs> City versus Cheltenham. I can't remember. There's something Gloucester City versus someone. Someone told me in the local area is the the actual true El Glossico, but that whets the appetite, doesn't it? Forest Green Rovers and Cheltenham Town in League One. Yeah, first time that's happened, and yeah, Forest Green have done brilliantly to come up. Um, they've got they've got it right now. They've got a good good manager, united the club, fans. It's a little altogether. wobble in there for a while, wasn't there? Was it six games? Or that yeah, they had a little bit of a wobble, yeah. but what a season they've had. You know, they've, yeah. they've, I think to have two Football League one teams in Gloucestershire is, is brilliant. Gloucester City will be looking up and thinking, we want to get up there as well. You know, I know they're ambitious and they're, they've got the, they're back at the new ground now. They'll want to get themselves at least into the National League and then mm. they've got ambitious to get into the Football League. But for Gloucestershire to have two League One clubs next season is, yeah, never happened before. Great for... There's going to be a few more local games next season, which is brilliant. But to have that rivalry um, is great, and they'll 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 come up and they'll they'll be ambitious again. You know, Dale Vince has said many many times that he wants to get to the championship. They've they get they're gradually getting there. I think they've but I think they've they've, they've run a lot more sensibly now. I think in the early days mm. of the Dale Vince money, they were spending ridiculous sums of money. Yeah. I think now they're. I don't think they've got the biggest budget in League Two. I think there's something like seventh or eighth in League Two. Wow. So they've they've done it well. Edwards they've got done well. Okay. Good young players. Yeah. They've got a couple of the, you know, Kane Wilson who got League Two Player of the Year, Nicky Cadden, Matty Stevens who's mm. injured at the moment but had a brilliant goal scoring yeah. season. Yeah, so I, yeah, I've, I've got a big soft spot for Forest Green. Um, great, it's a new developing rivalry still between the clubs, but I, I want to see them do well now, especially. One of my wife's first proper games was I think 2018. Was it Cheltenham Town against Forest Green in League Two? And I, th- I think 
we, someone got arrested on the prom at 10 a.m. for being drunk and disorderly, <laughs> and then we walked past, I think, a, a police, a police uh, officer on a ho white horse outside one of the pubs just around the corner from Modern Road, the ground, and it was, and then we saw like a 50-year-old bloke get chucked out at one point, a Forest Green fan. I was like, yeah, this is, this, I don't think this is normal for, for Gloucestershire, but it's, no. uh, it's a new rivalry, but certainly people have embraced it. Yeah, Forest Green won that game, um, yeah. and they've, they've got a good record against Cheltenham. Cheltenham did beat them. Um, at home last season and drew away but mm. other than that Forest Green have had the edge in recent years but obviously they haven't played each other a huge amount of times so there's been a few draws in there but yeah that, that's one to look forward to next season well, uh, You're a university lecturer as well in media and I think it's sort of like any attention is good attention say in the modern world and what Dale Vince achieved there in terms of I don't think it's it's a marketing ploy I think it's an ethical approach with the veganism and stuff like that and sustainability and, and everything around that but it's been fantastic in terms of getting national coverage I mean there must have been the the most well-covered League Two club in history, I think. Yeah, I think what they, the big challenge for them, because a lot of the stuff, yeah, a lot of their messaging is absolutely brilliant and it's, it's definitely, you know, the way that things need to go and they're, mm. they're trying to drive it. But I think what they, their big challenge, which the new stadium will help with, is getting more people through, you know, mm. getting more people through the turnstiles and maybe making more of an impact in the community because worldwide they've made headlines, which is brilliant. But the population there is difficult, isn't it, that area, Stroud, Nailsworth, it's not huge population. I think if you if you add in all the surrounding areas of Stroud, it's not that dissimilar to Cheltenham. Probably about oh, right. hundred. Just you can drag Sarah Sester maybe into it a little bit. Yeah, Got it's football team there, but it's probably the, the the location. A lot of people still don't know where Forest Green is, or don't even know where Nailsworth is. Mm. Um, they did try and change their name to Stroud FC at one point in the eighties. I think it was. It didn't didn't last very long. They went back to Forest Green, but when they moved down to the to Junction Thirteen, with the M Five. Yeah that they'll hope that they'll get a few more and as they continue to progress through the pyramid you know they'll hope to get a few more fans because the the crowds if they if they want to seriously establish themselves at a, a good level of football they need to obviously build build so junction 13 what is that where's the Stroud, Stroud junction Stroud stonehouse junction the grounds are going to be just off that it's going to you know the, the plans look brilliant they've got a training ground there women's team evolved so draw north Brist north bristol people kind of in maybe although bristol rovers are possibly yeah. in league one as well it's a tough it's tough isn't it it's tough to try and get people to change their allegiance so yeah. they've got to yeah it's, it's going to be interesting to see but that's that's their big challenge to, to get more people through because the the global messaging and the the ethos of the club has been brilliantly received and it's put them on the map mm. but i think their big challenge is to get more people coming um try and get those crowds up above three thousand. brilliant well i know i'm mindful that you've you've got a job to do at university of gloucestershire as well how's that how's that going before you go it's going well yeah we've got um we're back in next week, so yeah. we've got this is this is the final week for the students of the Easter break. Uh, it's marking time for me, <laughs> so I've got bit, had had a bit of break last week. Went up to North Yorkshire. So what, is, it, is it still like first class two one? Yeah, level still two? That. Is that the grading? Yeah. And in a f in a few weeks' time, we'll be saying goodbye to our final years. It'll be you know for handing in their final bits of work, and hopefully a lot of them will, will go on to do very well, which I'm sure they will mm. in, into the industry. Last year's crop, huge amount of them, I think. Over over twenty twenty five of them have gone into really good jobs in the industry from yeah. last year's crop. So it's that's that's the most rewarding part of the well, job. Well, it's been a lot of flux. It's been a lot of flux in lots of industries. Even when I work at Sky Sports, and actually, I think n perversely with the economy struggling, it could be a good opportunity because actually people who are more experienced are, are leaving the the industry, aren't they? So actually, well qualified, skilled young people coming in who are obviously going to necessarily command a lower salary. It could be a good good time to come out. Yeah, the, there are jobs out there. Yeah, yeah. This, this is, I think it's quite an exciting time. There's, there's new things coming out all the time. There's opportunities, a far wider breadth of opportunities than there were yeah. when I was at university for, for people who... Where are they mostly working? Digital stuff? 
Yeah, digital uh, reach is is recruiting heavily. Mm. Uh, reach PLC. A lot of them are going to work for Premier League, Championship, Football League clubs on ah, the media okay, department. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's been a big part of it. Um, agencies. One of our graduates is working at the World Snooker Championships at the moment in Sheffield. Alex is doing brilliantly. How, how, do you teach, how do you teach impartiality at uni with potentially going to go and work for a club? Because I did a bit for MUTV in the early days, and even as a Manchester United fan at the time, it's very, very state media. It's mm. very kind of um, you know like Russian TV kind of thing. It's a strange, it's a strange dynamic. Mm. We have we have um, a few modules dedicated to to the, to the sports media side of it. Yeah. In internal comms, we've also got a masters course that I teach on in, in um, comms, sports comms, and that's very much my side of the teaching is very much in-house comms yeah everything you need to do working on that side of things so th the skills are definitely similar obviously yeah. applied in a different way and slightly different you emphasize on one team but you have to try and be truthful and honest don't you as well i think yeah. sometimes you sort of if, you, if you're trying to masquerade fans you know if you've lost six nil and you call it a good game or whatever in the report it's yeah. not, not necessarily exactly gonna it's lead to, to good things still all about good storytelling mm. whether it's within within the club or looking from the outside it's all about people want to read good good stories and that's that's what you know good content whether it's video uh, social media written content i think it's all about yeah good good storytelling and asking the managers and players probing and, and sometimes difficult questions at difficult times i think it's probably key isn't it otherwise people will look for that in the broader media but if you can offer that in-house if you have an honest conversation with the manager after a defeat then I think that probably enhances the club's credibility. Yeah, honesty, like you said, you can't you can't pull the wool over fans' eyes. They're going to know, and they, they're going to want honesty. They're going to want, yeah. And you, but you've got a certain amount of control over what, mm. what the message is. So, yeah, I think club a lot of clubs do it very well, and a lot of the external media have had to adapt their approach because of that yeah. strength, of this, particularly in the Premier League clubs, the, the quality and the investment that's gone into the media side of things in-house twitter player player announcements and stuff like that a lot of yeah. money goes into that doesn't it yeah i mean it's yeah it's it's fascinating but yeah i think it's uh it's a very exciting side of the fence to be on Brilliant. so a lot of our students want come to uni now wanting to go down that route so you got a good, good summer off to bask in the glory of Cheltenham town and university of gloucestershire you a bit like michael duffy never break <laughs> it'll, it'll be a, it'll be a brief break post university before pre-season there'll be a brief window yeah but i've just had a bit of a break over easter after the lincoln game Good. stayed up in the northeast got a bit of a breather and then that's the final push but yeah definitely we'll have a bit of a breather in the summer but then i always look forward to pre-season it's always a good time loads going on pre-season friendlies players coming and going and yeah we'll be uh, missing it before long as well <laughs> good man john palmer brilliant to see you we'll catch up soon cheers ed thanks a lot What a knowledgeable man, good gent, John Palmer. Really appreciate him coming by on his way to the office, which is quite near where I live, actually, in, in the centre of Cheltenham. Great to speak to him, the kind of font of all historical knowledge and context, although he modestly, I guess, uh, defer to other people in, in that regard. But Cheltenham Town's most successful season since 1887. Brilliant stuff, brilliant achievement. And as he says there, in this uh, in life, the change in flux, you have to enjoy those moments, but more so in League One, League Two football, where it changes every every year in terms of who's in the ascendancy and who's not, and the the rising tides and the bubbling people coming up, people going down. It's a it's a wild spectacle, as we say, with Oldham Oldham Athletic, a former Premier League team, top division team, going out of the entire football league at the weekend, which was a sad story. But wish them the best of luck. And with that sad story, there'll be a positive story with other teams coming up and being on the ascent in the sport, which is, uh, guess why we like relegation and promotion, perhaps why other countries don't 
uh, take part in that in terms of things like the NFL in America have definitely not got that model of, of constant flux. But but there you go. I appreciate John's time. Thank you for listening. Thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Check out BNO underscore Cheltenham on social media. Get in touch with Jason Briggs and his fine team. They're a sponsor of Cheltenham Town Football Club, incidentally, as well. Maybe paying a little bit more than they pay to support this podcast. Who knows? Maybe not. <laughs> um, but yeah, brilliant, uh, brilliant company. And also thank you to Cytoplan, food-based supplements. Took mine this morning. And they're a good company, we feel, in, in just kind of particularly with micronutrients in mind, vitamin D3 and trace elements like selenium and zinc. My father's always been a, a, an advocate of taking supplements. And you have, may have a different opinion on that. But if you want to try them at cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk, you can enter the discount associated with the podcast at checkout, which is Draper Tenar. My last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numbers one zero and the capital letter R. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please tell a friend, rate it, review it. Um, That'd be fantastic. And if not, just listen next time. I hope to speak to you again very soon. Bye for now.